It's the Field of Vision podcast with your host, Jordan Eisen. How's it going, everybody? And welcome into the Field of Vision podcast. Again, another returning guest. It's Jason Collette, and he is quite the uh, quite the fantasy analyst, I will say. Uh, every Sundays you can every Sunday you can find him on the Sleeper in the Bust, and he does lots of other good work all around the industry. So, uh, Jason, tell me a little bit about what you do, your pitch tracking stuff, all that. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so uh, this is really a busy time of year. Uh, I've got the the weekly column at Rotowire, uh, the Collect Calls column. It usually goes up Wednesdays. Uh, if you are not a Rotowire subscriber, rotowire.com forward slash radio. Get you 10 free days to go in there and play around. You don't even need a credit card. Uh, I I believe because I have I have put this promise to people. It's like once you get in there for ten days for free, play around. You're not going to want to leave. Uh, and a baseball subscription is extremely affordable. I don't know the exact price, but uh, I know if I could sacrifice a cup of coffee every other week uh, over the course of a baseball season, I can pay for that. I can pay for that subscription. So it's that affordable uh, with it. And so and as you mentioned, Sunday mornings uh, recording with Justin Mason uh, on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. We typically. Uh, most times it's Justin and myself, but then lately we've been bringing in a, a third guest. So recently I've had she- has recorded with Shelly V this past weekend, had uh, Rob DiPietro, uh, Deadpool hitter on Twitter uh, before that. In fact, I'm recording with, with him tomorrow night on his podcast. So it's been fun to, uh, to stay busy here at night, given that uh, we're just in wait and see mode uh, for actual baseball games, whether it's you know spring training, who cares? I'm just happy to see major league baseball players running around on a field again soon for sure and yeah you do a lot of good work i personally know you most from sleeper in the bust i listen to pretty much every episode so i know you from there pretty well and of course we've talked before so i know a little bit about you from there as well so today is very packed show uh we're gonna do catcher first base second base preview uh it had to be crammed since i only do weekly podcasts other podcasts might do more in-depth um, position previews, but I guess this fits you well if you want a quick listen and kind of covering everything. So uh, let's get rolling since we have a lot to do. So pretty much to so that we have a chance at getting to everyone, I split uh, I split into groups of three and sometimes more depending on. It's not really tiers. It's just like guys that I kind of think of similarly or like, I guess it is basically tiers, not going to lie. But um, it, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're going to kind mm-hmm. of play it by ear. But to start, we'll go with these groupings and see how it works. So uh, who is your favorite value of, of, let's start a catcher, JT Rio Muto at 41 overall. And this is according to Fantasy Pros ADP, by the way. So JT Rio Muto at 41, Salvador Perez at 89, and Will Smith at 100. You know, for for this trio, I, I want to go Salvador Perez because the one thing we know from Perez is he's going to play a ton. It's what Kansas City always does with him. As long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be out there five, six days a week. 
The other two, we can't say that. We we know that Real Muto uh, is a risk to start the season on time with the thumb injury. So that's going to cut into him and then not having that regular uh, time to get ready for the season. And then there's been some concerning language coming out of uh, Los Angeles about how they view the catching situation between Will Smith and Austin Barnes saying they're a 1A and a 1B. Now, I love Will Smith. But hearing that language concerns me because a 1A, 1B means 60 to 40 playing split, maybe 65 to 35. If I'm going to take Will Smith uh, at, at 100, if he's going to be in the top 100, I need 70, I need 70, 30, 75, 25 at, yeah, at the lowest. He's got to be in there at least 70% of the time. So this 1A, 1B garbage uh, concerns me because uh, I've done two drafts already. I have Will Smith in both of them. I really like his potential. We saw what he did in the postseason to be able to hit in the middle of that lineup uh, in that loaded lineup uh, as well. But that language concerns me. Yeah, and I was pretty surprised. I thought Will Smith would probably be like my guy at catcher uh, before the season, but I'm surprised he's going at pick 100. Uh, of this group, I would probably say Salvador Perez. I'm not that enthusiastic, and you kind of said everything that has to be said. So let's move on to the next grouping. Uh, Yasmani Grandal at 121, Wilson Contreras two picks later at 123, and then Travis Darno. who is your favorite of this group? Uh, this one's tough because like last year I was super high on Yasmani Grandal. Uh, I loved where he was going to hit in that lineup, uh, and uh, he struggled uh, like many guys did last year. Apologies for the dog. I've got three of them. Uh, so, uh, but I really, I love him again this year. I think he's in that Chicago lineup uh, is strong. He's going to hit, in the, he's going to hit high in it. The, the RBI opportunities should be a plenty there. Uh, and, and so I really like him and, and not to say, I don't like the other two. Uh, Travis Darno was a, a fantastic hitter and I really love the the structure of the Atlanta lineup, but I got to get this one to Grandel just because how he's going to be hitting higher in the lineup than these other guys. Uh, and he's just so well insulated. He's got good guys in front of him, good guys behind him, just like he did last year. Uh, you have to hope that the 2020 struggles were just 2020 uh, because he's quite capable offensively. We've seen it in the past. Uh, and there's, and he should, you know, he's got a good chance in the full season. He's got a really good shot of driving in 90 plus runs, which is extremely tough to do as a fantasy catcher. It's like real Muto and Perez are two guys that have been, been able to get there before. And we're talking about taking Grandal, uh, you know, 80 picks after real Muto taking him forties, uh, about 40 picks after uh, Perez. And so if you can get that high RBI production, in an OBP league, he's a stronger candidate than he is in a batting average league. Uh, but that's what we're looking at for him. So give me Grandal of this group. Yeah, so I I think this is probably one of the better tiers, this or the next one. Um, but if you're playing in a one-catcher league, I say try to get your um, your guy in this tier of Grandal, Contreras, and Darno. Uh, my favorite is definitely Darno. He's my fourth-ranked catcher, which means he's first in this grouping. Um, I just buy into the 2020 breakout a little bit. His stat cast numbers are, like, legit. Strikeouts are kind of concerning, plate discipline. Don't love that. But mm -hmm. he, he's 100th percentile in hard hit rate. Like, that can happen just because the small sample size. And he's not going to be 100th percentile. He's not Mike Trout at catcher. That... That's not who Travis Darno is, but I think he seriously could be the number one catcher. Um, it, 
he's really the only person I could see, unless uh, Will Smith gets more playing time. He's the only person I could see really rivaling JT Real Muto um, for number one. And that upside at 137, get rid of the catcher eligibility and say he plays every day. I think 137 even still might be a good value. That said, he is a catcher. He might not play every day, but he'll play most days in the heart of a very good lineup, which you just talked about with the White Sox. Same applies for the Braves. Um, and I'm on board with Darno. Now, this next tier. Yeah, and his hitting, uh, I mean, he really took it around. I, I was going to add hitting-wise, you know, when he uh, left the Dodgers and came over to Tampa Bay, had his swing reworked by uh, – by Chad Matola, the hitting coach at Tampa Bay, and really got him to uh, to drive the ball and really not uh, look to pull it all the time. You look for his power, and he's able to hit the ball out to right center field uh, as well as left center field. And like you said, he's got he's got a lot of pop in the bat with the re, with the retooled swing. Uh, and if you're looking for a catcher who's outside the top 100 right now that could be in that top 100 by season's end, he is should be right at the top of your list. Yeah, and also like. This breakout wasn't only 2020. I'm not saying that when he was with the Rays for that like one month in the middle of nowhere and Travis Darno was like the best hitter in baseball, that wasn't completely the same as what happened this past season. But I mean, it did happen. We have to give him some credit for it. He is old and it's a kind of sketchy mid-career breakout. But um, as long as he is going at 137, sure, I'll take it. Yeah, why not? Um, all right. The next group, uh, let, let's just talk Gary Sanchez. I don't know what group he belongs in. So I just kind of put him by himself. He's ADP 159 on fantasy pros and I have him ranked number 12. Um, he's just very worrying to me. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, he's a tough guy to he's a tough guy to nail down. I mean, when he's bad, he's really bad. I mean, we know what he's capable of power uh, power wise. Uh, playing in Yankee Stadium and his ability to hit hit to all fields with power is obviously going to be attractive. I think if if he were playing on a different team, he wouldn't be up here. Uh, we wouldn't even be talking about him as the seventh best catcher. But you know, the fact is, he plays in Yankee Stadium. He plays road games in Baltimore and. Uh, Dunedin and Buffalo uh, and and Boston and then Tampa Bay is the toughest uh, park he plays on, plays in within the division, uh, so he's got a lot going in his favor. Uh, and you know the backup the backup catching situation for the Yankees only seems to be an issue when they get to the postseason. It's like Sanchez looks so bad they had to bench him. Uh, but that said, we know what he's capable of, and and so if if you take the chance here. If if for like re rewind the last couple of years, Sanchez is always a guy that's been sneaking and you know, getting into the back end of the top 100. So now we've seen how much he's coming down. And if you go with the uh, last year's trash, this year's treasure kind of theory, then you're back in on him. But again, the, the the range of outcomes with him are is rather extreme, and I don't see that extreme range of outcomes on any of the guys above him and even some of the guys behind him on this list that we'll talk about. I don't see the, the wide range. So it really depends on how you're constructing your roster. If you've, if you've gotten to this point and have been able to put a, a safer place together, then you take the chance on Sanchez. Best case scenario, he goes out and hits 30 plus again. But if you've gone and pursued a team that is struggling with batting average 
uh, and struggling with speed somehow if you've made that particular combination you know is it going to really do you well to add yet another bad batting average power upside guy to your lineup when you've already when your lineup is already starting to look like this so you gotta you gotta look at how it's how your roster is coming together by the time you get to this part of the draft where Sanchez is sitting there before you decide yeah I'm gonna go ahead and take the chance or I'm going to pass and go to the next tier of catchers. Yeah, he's very risky. And I mean, the ADP is finally like accounting for that extreme risk that comes with one of these strike out a ton, uh, hit a lot of fly ball guys. So uh, that it's we're also seeing it with like Joey Gallo. Um, we're kind of seeing it everywhere. Uh, it just because... In this small sample size of a season, usually these guys that hit a bunch of fly balls will hit whatever percent out and whatever percent will be home runs. So maybe for Gallo and Sanchez, they just didn't go on the home run spree that they otherwise would have if it were a full season. But I'm scared. I I don't feel like he could be the number one catcher. I talked about that with Darno, but... Honestly, I just don't think he's worth the risk. Um, this next group, I, uh, except for one that is an exception, and I'll we'll talk about him in a sec, but um, I have all of them ranked above Sanchez. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this next group. Uh, Christian Vasquez, 162. Austin Nola, 177. James McCann, 189. Sean Murphy, 192. And Dalton Varsho, 193. I hinted at it. Uh, is Dal- Just yes or no. Is Dalton Varsho starting in the majors? Uh, I No, I don't think so. Uh, and even before that, I wasn't that crazy uh, about his potential this year. I mean, many a fantasy season has been ruined by reaching for a young catcher. Uh, thinking this is going to be the year. Uh, and so that's I was already fading him. Uh, and I, I don't believe he's going to start the, the season. And part of his value was that the multi-position eligibility where, hey, he's going to play some outfield, but then qualify catcher. But if he's not going to start the season in the majors uh, and, and they've certainly put some traffic in front of him, then I'm a little I'm more concerned. And it really validates uh, the decision to, to fade him. But the other concern there you, uh, you have on that list there is, is Sean Murphy. You know, the fact that he had to have lung surgery. This already in 2021, he had an issue where he thought he potentially had uh, COVID. Turns out he had a, a collapsed lung somehow and he had to have surgery. And so he he's in camp right now, uh, but not swinging. He, he's, he's doing some catching drills, but he's not gotten to the plate. So the risk of him starting the season on time uh, is at risk. And so you certainly have to factor that into play. Uh, then con- with James McCann, you know, Big contract uh, for a catcher. I mean, four years and, and the money they gave him in a new place. There's risk there uh, with that, and so and so then you come down to uh, Vasquez and Nola. Uh, you know, Vasquez, we we've seen him take full advantage uh, of Fenway Park in 2019 with the livelier baseball, but with the baseball not being as lively in 2021. Uh, we'll see where where that ends up going. But again, just like the same story I, I made with Sanchez, he's going to have very friendly road parks uh, outside of Tampa Bay that he can take advantage of. Uh, but then Nola is in the best lineup situation of them all. I mean, he's in that San Diego situation. He's hitting at the bottom of that San Diego lineup. We don't know yet if the DH is, is, is officially ruled out uh, of the 
NL, crossing my fingers that it's not. Uh, but if if it's not, they, Nola could hit eighth and, and have somebody uh, still have a, one of the best nine hitters, whoever they want to put in that spot, uh, hitting behind them. And then he's going to have a loaded top of the lineup as well. Uh, and so I like Nola the best out of this bunch because uh, and then followed by Vasquez because Murphy, Varsho uh, and, and McCann each have risk associated with them. Yeah. I like McCann the most, but I do like what you said about Nola, and I didn't really think about that. Like, I think his playing time won't be affected at least that much by the DH. Maybe he'll get a couple uh, what would be rest days as DH days, but it it's not going to matter that much. But I do like what you said about having the nine-hole hitter just below him. Maybe it's Jerson, Jerkson Profar, Jake Cronenworth, one of those utility guys that they have. Um, mm-hmm. and that's still a really good hitter. Like that's the guy that you like a Jake Cronenworth level hitter. That might be a number three hitter for a garbage team. Uh, so I, that's an interesting point. So maybe I'll have to move Austin Nola up if there is a DH. Um, I'm kind of assuming there is no DH right now. And that makes me have James McCann as my number one. I just think he's decent. And that's kind of what you're looking for at this point. Like, I do have Christian Vasquez ranked one spot higher, but I think James McCann, you might be able to um, get a little later than Christian Vasquez. So I I like him at his price the most. Not that enthusiastic, but if you just need some catcher value, he'll he'll do the job, I think. Um, And also he has good lineup context as well. Um, so that covers the top 12. Let's talk about this, these last few guys that I just think are interesting in some aspects. So Mitch Garver, 213, that's really late considering he was almost top 100 last year. Um, Wilson Ramos, 281, Adley Rutschman, uh, 311, and Alejandro Kirk at 329. Let's quickly hit on all of these, just like in a couple sentences. Um, So you've got Mitch Garver. He has dropped like 100 spots since the beginning of 2020. Do you see a bounce back at all? Or do you think he's just 2019 was a fluke for him? Yeah, it's it's really tough. Would you strike out forty six percent of the time as Mitch Garver did last year? Yeah, something went seriously wrong uh, there, and that was a really tough to try to figure out. Uh, so, you know, I would put him in the in the wide range of outcomes, like Sanchez. Uh, you know, two thousand nineteen. I honestly that you know that was a uh, not going to say a fluke, but that's how that's at the highest end of the probability scale, and it worked out for him. Uh, but the real Garver is somewhere in between what he had done previously. I mean, of this group, and the the point earlier I made about you know, uh, fantasy seasons being ruined by chasing young catchers, and that's where you know, Alejandro Kirk, if you look at his minor league hitting track record, you have to be impressed with what he does. But again, can he catch enough at the at the major league level to to stick there? And you know they've got Danny Jansen uh, there as well, who was the was who himself was a rookie prospect a couple of years back. He has struggled offensively, but you know he's good behind the plate. And so, how much playing time is Kirk going to get there? Is he going to get enough to supplant Jansen out of that role uh, and then take the majority share of that? And then 
you know, Rutschman is even more of a risk there, which is why I like Ramos the best here because Ramos is going to catch a lot in Detroit. I mean, they got him on a really nice price. He should get a majority of that catching uh, playing time. So if you're looking for some, and he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. Middle of that lineup is pretty much a station-to-station team when you get to that point uh, of that lineup. But he's going to hit fifth. And we were talking about catchers in this situation. Most of the time, we're talking about guys hitting seven, eight, nine. But here's Ramos, who's likely going to hit fourth or fifth. Uh, at six at the worst in this Detroit lineup. So he's going to get more plate appearances. He's going to have a bigger share of the playing time than just about most of these guys that we've talked about. And I I find him the most attractive catcher here. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up finishing the season closer to the top 10. Right now he's at 16 uh, and he's you know almost 100 spots behind James McCann. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Ramos take a step forward just as a compiler. I'm not saying that he's got crazy talent and he's going to hit a bunch of these home runs because he's still, you know, slow as Christmas and hits a lot of stuff into the ground. But he's got the opportunity to drive in runners uh, and just compile to get his numbers, uh, which is which is tough to find for catchers. Yeah, so uh, he too is my favorite value, Wilson Ramos. So I mentioned earlier that I have Gary Sanchez ranked 12th and I don't have Darshan, Dalton Varsho ranked because I do think he will start in the minors. So then that means one other person is uh, in my top 12 that is not in ADP's top 12 and that is Wilson Ramos who is my number 9. So he's going 16 according to Fantasy Pros. And I've got him 9. Yeah, like what are you trying to get at catcher? Kind of just like not die. Um, and... Wilson Ramos at such a light price of 281. Yeah, sure. I I think he will go earlier than 281 in most leagues, but I'll take it. Sure. Like he he's going to hit for decent average unlike most catchers. Um not too much power, I guess. Absolutely no steals. I think he has the worst sprint speed in the league. Um but he Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no steals, but his runs in RBI, yeah, he'll hit in the middle-ish of a bad, but it's still serviceable lineup. Um, they scope, they have some interesting-ish guys, but um, yeah, sure. He's going uh, even take... lower if you look at the NFBC stuff. I mean, his ADP in NFBC is 323, so it's even lower in Fantasy Pros. I mean, and he's going, doesn't... he's being drafted as a second catcher, and he's a starting catcher hitting in the middle of the lineup. I mean, there's, there's, it's tough to say there's significant upside of the catching position, but there is here. Yeah. I don't know if I see upside cause he seems kind of capped at like absolute upside. He's three, he has a 300 batting average, maybe 20 home runs and that that's not going to happen, but I mean, it's possible, I suppose, right? Like you're not going to get that from like no other catcher really on this list has such a high batting average uh, ceiling except for maybe the top two tiers. Like, and he's going super late. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and as for, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Alejandro Kirk. So something that I'm trying to do this season is think about like, okay, so you've got Alejandro Kirk. He doesn't really seem like he has a spot in the lineup. But if you're going to draft him, you're hoping he's good. And if he is good, he's going to find a spot in the lineup. 
So for a guy like that, I don't really care too much about the lineup spot because if he hits, he's either just going to be good and have playing time or not going to be good and not have playing time. Like very, very rarely do we see a guy who like is obviously better than the person ahead of him mm-hmm. and doesn't get that playing time. So I I am very much intrigued by Alejandro Kirk and yeah. Uh, do you have any other guys that we haven't mentioned that you think are interesting points um, at catcher? Uh, at catcher, it really depends on the depth depth of your league. But yeah, you know, I looking late. So let's say you're 15 team mixed league. You have to take two catchers. Max Stassi and Elias Diaz are two guys that are very intriguing. Uh, as your second catcher, uh, depending on what you've done at your first, uh, so, you know, Elias Diaz hitting in Colorado was always intriguing. I liked him when I hit when he hit in Pittsburgh. I uh, just d- didn't have the results this the in that second season. But coming to Colorado, uh, he's got a nice opportunity in front of him, and uh, and he's going late in the second catcher round. Part and Stassi has shown some power as well. So those are guys right now that are both outside the top twenty five by ADP. Uh, for catchers that have the potential to to be productive C, uh, uh, C2s, which is, you know, you're lucky if you can find a productive catcher one, depending on how you approach your strategies. I know some guys will go and just take both of those guys as their starting catchers to say, I'm, yeah, you know, sure. I'm, I'm just not going to do anything at catcher and I'll take Stassi and Stassi and Diaz as catcher one, catcher two, and ride it out from there. But you got to hope that they can maximize their playing time because again, it's all about, how much these guys are playing, and if and your teammates, your your opponents rather, who who get a Ramos, who are get up a, a Perez, and can get that compiling production out of that position, it, it just puts you that much behind the eight ball at the catching position. If you decide you're just going to completely punt catcher and, yeah. and chase the upside, but if the upside doesn't get there, then you've got nothing, and you just can't take an absolute nothing from catching anymore. It used to be, you know, some guys would say, "Oh yeah, I can do that," but you've really got to hit it everywhere else. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I used to try to be one of those guys that, that would try to, to – I'm just going to take $2 catchers at the end of the draft. I'm not spending any money on catchers. Forget it. Uh, it wasn't getting me anywhere. So, <laughs> you know, adjusted that strategy in kind. Yeah. So we're running a little low on time. So who's – just give me a name, no explanation. Who is your favorite value catcher? Or not value catcher, but like – who do you like at his price the most? Who do I like at my price? Uh, his price at the most. Uh, I will go with um, go back to Grendel. Okay, I'll, I'll take Darno. So we're going back to that second group. Uh, and who is your favorite sleeper? Uh, Ramos. Yep, me too. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I, I do like Kirk a little bit, but if I have to pick one, I too would go Ramos. All right. First base, it's okay. So it's really not that much more interesting than catcher. Uh, so how I went about this, and I didn't really have to explain this for catcher, but just to speed along, I'll eventually hit on everyone on this podcast. Not this episode, maybe, but some other episode. Sure. If someone has first base eligibility, but I think it would be dumb to play them at first base, like DJ LeMahieu. Uh, we're going to talk about him at second base instead, just to make this episode go a little bit faster. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so let's fly through these uh, first basemen. First tier, pretty obvious. You've got Freddie Freeman at 11, Cody Bellinger at 15, 
Jose Abreu at 36. I think, I think Freddie Freeman and Jose Abreu, people pretty much know what to expect from them. So let's talk about Cody Bellinger a little bit. Um, Cody Bellinger. So he had this offseason shoulder surgery. It's a little concerning. And he did not have a good 2020. Um, do you think he can bounce back? And do you think his uh, 15th overall price is even close to worth it? Because I do not. Yeah, it's a risky it's a risky investment there because the shoulder surgery and I'm a little biased. I've had three. I've had three of the surgeries that he's had uh, two to my throwing shoulder, one to my non throwing shoulder. And I, I'm always reminded how I faded the hell out of Matt Carpenter when he was complaining about his shoulder, never had surgery, and then had a massive season. Uh, so that's always in back of my mind here. But that's you know, when I when I hear you know a guy has off season shoulder surgery and is still going at the end of the first round, uh, kind of blows my mind. I mean, I would much rather wait the round and just give me every share of Jose Abreu I possibly can for the same reasons I was uh, talking about with Yasmani Grandal plus. The fact that Abreu has just, he has such a high floor, high floor. I mean, you look at his run production, what he's able to do, hit for average. I mean, I love Jose Abreu. He's incredibly consistent. I would much rather, like if I, let's say I take Freddie or, you know, I take a hitter in the first round, give me the starting pitcher in the second round, give me Jose Abreu in the third round, and I'm really happy. But uh, the the consistency of Abreu should overrule the upside, you know, the risk that's associated with Bellinger. Bellinger, a phenomenal talent in a terrific lineup, but that shoulder surgery is a uh, is a pretty big red flag for me uh, to see how he bounces back from it. He can say so, he's ahead of schedule, but you know, I always <laughs> I trust the 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 data that shows what happens with guys when they when they have a major surgery when their off season is disrupted. Versus the player saying, I feel great. Of course you feel great because you were feeling miserable before your surgery. True. Uh, maybe that's it. But um, let me ask you just hypothetical. If Bellinger did not have this shoulder surgery, what do you think about his 2020? Like, do you think he can bounce back? Is that strikeout rate too concerning? What's up with his like actual performance if he was just completely healthy? Honestly, not concerned. I mean, he's a phenomenal talent overall. Uh, and, you yeah, know, I got to see him as a prospect in the Arizona Fall League. It's just amazing to watch that dude hit. Uh, and his swing is – it's high effort, shall we say, but it, it it's beautiful high effort. Uh, and that's where it gets – yeah, it was just fun to watch it up front. The ball just absolutely flies off his, off his bat. And, you know, you look at what he did, you know – 2019 high watermark, but that's not to say, you know, once you've done it, you can do it again. Uh, and 2020 low watermark, but if he can get me something in between 2017 and 2019, I would take that all day. Um, but I don't know with the, with the injury, it's too much of a risk for me to take 15th overall pick on him. Yeah, fair enough. And honestly, I have him at 21 and I know I have him as my second baseman, my second first baseman, sorry, but I didn't realize I had him that high. Like he's right behind Luis Castillo for me because pitching is being pushed up like crazy and right before Anthony Rendon. So, I mean, I could see him dropping if um, his spring training looks bad or if he's not getting 
like any playing time and it just kind of points to the shoulder getting in the way he could definitely go down but I don't really see him going up so as for now he's at 21 but that is definitely subject to change um all right the second group is kind of ridiculous and my ranks I don't know about you but my ranks compared to fantasy pros ADP is not consistent like if you if you charted this on a graph it would have no correlation basically it's really odd so all right pete alonzo i'm actually going to split this up into two groups kind of just because it's a long list but pete alonzo vladimir guerrero luke voigt matt olson of those four do you care for any of them i personally don't really I do. Uh, as as much as I hate the Yankees, man, Luke Voigt is such a terrific hitter. I mean, you look at what Luke Voigt did last year on one foot. I mean, he had a pretty severe case of plantar fasciitis last year. He looked like the karate kid up there sometimes uh, trying to hit off one foot, and he still led the league in home runs. Uh, you know, his ability to wait on pitches, uh, to cover the strike zone, to hit the ball to all three. He can hit the power to all three fields. He can hit it out in Yankee Stadium in right field, and he can hit it out in a real stadium to right field. Uh, I'm just incredibly impressed by Luke Voigt at the plate uh, last year and what he's able to do. Um, and for me, it's like if I'm if I'm right now, he's 57 there in the ADP. Uh, I, I still want to bray you, but I there's a strong case to be made that Luke Voigt is the is the number four first baseman this year. Yeah, I uh, I don't have him number four, but I honestly probably should. But uh, maybe it's just because I'm a Cardinals fan and I'm kind of mad about this whole. Uh, Luke Voigt, Randy Arozarena <laughs> thing, but um, Tommy Pham is a long list of guys. You yeah. the Cardinals. I, I mean, we aren't missing too much without Tommy Pham. He's injured all the time, but um, the Luke Voigt, Randy Arozarena, that hurts. And I mean, maybe I'm just salty, but I I do have him at number six, which is the same as Fantasy Pros rank. But I don't think I'm particularly high on him. He's all power, which is definitely worth for something. And he will hit for, he won't kill you in batting average, which is nice for a like real legit power hitter. Like he's going to probably hit 260 average ish, but he could also totally get like 40 home runs. It, he's one of probably the best power hitters in the game. And maybe if power was weighted more, if you're in some sort of weird points league or something, then I'd be interested. I just think they're, really good sources of power late in drafts and we'll get to a couple of them here um and i mean that just decreases his value all right next grouping paul goldschmidt anthony rizzo and dom smith who's the most who's your favorite uh with with uh Nolan Arenado being added to the St. Louis equation, uh, I really like Goldschmidt. I mean, we his days of uh, of you know hitting the thirty plus, stealing the base, the stolen bases are gone, and I don't hitting thirty home runs is going to be a challenge for him this year. But he his run production should be excellent uh, with the with the added help. There's going to that, that's there in the lineup for him, and just a well well insulated spot in the lineup. Uh, consistency and and you're paying for it so if, like if you miss out if you decide look the third round i'm not willing to take jose abreu it's not working for my roster construction you're being able to get goldschmidt right now by uh, by the uh, fantasy pros adp 50 picks later so you're looking at 
uh, you know, three to three to four rounds, uh, depending on on your league size. That that's a nice fallback plan uh, for that because he is very very safe uh, set of numbers. Uh, and the fact that he's going towards the back end of the top 100 means it's a nice value. Mm-hmm. He He's solid. You know what you're going to get from him. He is my... So I actually just moved Luke Voigt up a lot because I was like, why, why is he so low for me? And I mean, everything I did say about the um, home runs being kind of low in value may still be true, but Luke Voigt's so good. I moved him up into my 50s. Closer to his ADP, I'm about average with him. Uh, now he's going close to Carlos Carrasco and uh, don't yell at me, but Teoscar Hernandez. Um, so yeah, yell he's about up. Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> I, some people really don't like him, and frankly, I can't he's really good. blame them. But he, I like him too. You've got a stolen base floor, and what if 2020 was real? Like, yeah. Uh, anyways. So Paul Goldschmidt, he is now my number six now that Luke Voigt's my number five. But yeah, he, you know what you're going to get. I think he could hit 30 home runs. He could have a 300 average. Most likely outcome probably about 275 and 27. That's still solid. It's worth the 86th pick, especially at a uh, at a kind of shallow-ish position. Um, but my favorite, no doubt, maybe my favorite value this whole season is Dom Smith. He, every time he gets chances to hit, he's like really one of the best hitters in the game. Like he's just so good and playing time is pretty concerning. Having DH would be super nice. Maybe I would move him. No, I I was going to say maybe I would move him above Jose Abreu. If a DH came, that's not true. But the fact that I thought in that in my head for a second tells you how high <laughs> on Dom Smith I am. Like he's just good, right? And he's, he's going one of seven. I don't know if you saw that. You that what was that Instagram or YouTube interview he did with Barry Bonds uh, the other day? Oh yeah, uh, but worth tuning into that. The, and then somebody did an overlay of a video clip showing Dom Smith's swing against Barry Bonds and. You know, forget Barry's bat waggle, but there's a lot of similarities between how those two swings look. And I think Dom even said in the interview, like, I modeled my swing after you. Like, he was a huge Bonds fan. So, uh, fantastic interview uh, that he that he did there. And, and Smith is definitely a, a strong hitter. And you know, the, he doesn't need the DH, but it'd be great if he could use it uh, there. But, yeah, his uh, he's, he's going to ha- have a nice bump in value this year. Yeah, so I, I get if you don't want to rank him above maybe Luke Voigt, maybe Paul Goldschmidt, but what are you doing taking like Matt Olson ahead of Dom Smith or like Anthony Rizzo? Like Anthony Rizzo, sure, he gives you a floor. In my eyes, Dom Smith does too. His sample size, of course, is a lot smaller. He's done it for a lot less time, mm-hmm. but he's he's so good. Um, and also... As for the batting stance uh, in the swing, like Barry Bonds, I mean, I modeled my batting, uh, I modeled my swing after in my stance after Gary Sheffield, but I'm not in the majors, so I don't know <laughs> if that really means anything. But um, yeah, it, it, Dom Smith, oh my god, it, 
I I have a list growing of my favorite values this season and just like guys that I want in every league. He might be my number one. He I I don't get the price at all. All right. That we spent a lot of time on that tier. Let's move on. A few less interesting guys, I guess. Um Eric Hosmer, Josh Bell. Josh Bell maybe interesting. Um Ryan Mantcastle and Miguel Sano. Of those guys, who is your favorite? Uh, I want Josh Bell because of the trade. Uh, if he were still in Pittsburgh, no interest whatsoever in Josh Bell. Uh, I take that back. It's probably a little extreme, but yeah, he he got a pre- he got a pretty serious bump in value going to Washington. Uh, so I'm all in for the Josh Bell rebound this year. I mean, when you look at when well, I've, I've mentioned lineup insulation a couple of times now with some players, but you look here. This guy's going to be hitting behind Trey Turner and Juan Soto and in front of Kyle Schwarber. So he is in a great spot. I mean, we look at the on-base uh, abilities of Turner and Soto. Uh, and Bell, he's going to come up. One of those guys is likely going to be on base. Odds are a uh, good chance that both of them are going to be on base. He hits a single. Both of those guys could score on that single if those guys are in motion. Uh, you know, If they're on first and second and, and he hits a single – both of them could score. If he hits a double, both of them will score. Uh, and so that's where things could get really interesting here for Josh Bell on a rebound year. You know, I mentioned it earlier. We were talking about, like, uh, I think it was Garvin. We said last year's trash, this year's treasure, something like that. But Bell's a prime candidate. I mean, this was a guy that could was projected as a top 60 player last year uh, coming into the season. And that now his ADP is in the, in the mid-100s. Give give that to me all day long. I mean, and, and Ryan Montcastle is just behind him, uh, younger uh, and and has a riskier profile. He's, the fact that he gets to hit in Camden, uh, which plays well to his power, power profile, is attractive. But Josh Bell in that lineup situation, you know, I I would t- honestly, I want I take him. I'm going to pass on Rizzo. Definitely going to pass on Olson. I, I I want Josh Bell. And I don't think he's going to be there if, if you're looking at those picks and say, oh, yep, he'll be there at that ADP. Um, I'm looking at uh, switched over to NFBC. He's gone as high as 98. So somebody took him in the top 100. Uh, but his ADP is 161 there. So the market's not getting him. He's the 17th overall first baseman there. It's a deep position this year. But I want more I want more shares of Josh Bell this year. I, last year did not scare me enough to run away from him. Yeah. I, last year... I mean, it was scary, but he's dropped almost 80 picks. Like, that's enough of a discount. It, I don't, last year, it seemed like there was a chance he could hit 40 home runs and have a 280-ish average. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's happening. And it, if I did think that was happening, I'd have him ranked a lot higher and his ADP would be a lot higher. But he, I, I mean, he's solid, sure. He'll give you some uh, maybe Goldschmidt level power, maybe a worse average, but uh, definitely less home run, uh, runs in RBI too, I think. But maybe RBI more. It could happen. It's plausible. But I I am excited for him. I have him ranked at 14, and I have no idea why. He seems like he should be better. I, I haven't finished my ranks, but I'd imagine by the time I'm done, he's closer to 10 ish, maybe. Uh, not quite above Pete Alonso, who's my nine, but probably above Matt Olson. Um, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, he's he's cool. I I like him. Um, I twenty twenty did scare me though a little bit. The strikeout rate. I mean, he's been known as a plate discipline guy, so maybe that will go away. But it's a question of do those strikeouts become hits or outs? And I don't know. It's impossible right. to say. In theory, it should be uh, three hundred. Uh, like a third of them should be hits, but that's only in theory. Who knows? He's slow. His Babbitt might be lower, but yeah, I, I'm neutral about him. All right. Two more guys, both kind of prospecty. Uh, Jared Walsh, 206, and Andrew Vaughn at 340. Uh, let's start with Walsh. What are your general thoughts in like less than a minute? With Walsh, it's going to be fun because he's going to hit. He's being projected to hit in between David Fletcher and Mike Trout. I don't know if you could ask for better lineup insulation there. So he's going to hit high in the lineup. He has the ability to get on base, and he's got the he's got the ability to drive guys in. Uh, and so I I really like out of these two kids, give me Walsh all day long because the the risk profile with Vaughn is much larger due to the inexperience and just the high bar that we have for first baseman. Yeah. Uh... I really like Walsh. He was super good. I don't get why Cabrian Hayes is going like 100 picks higher. They were the same guy at the end of last season. And it seems like everyone's just super hyped about Cabrian Hayes and no one's hyped about Jared Walsh. And by no means am I trying to put down Cabrian Hayes. He's, I think he might be in my top 100 at this point. That might change, but I like him a lot. But why is Jared Walsh going 206? Like, I, I don't get that either. He'll not be in my top 100 because, sure, could Ryan Hayes had better prospect pedigree, but Jared Walsh is in a better lineup, probably will have more homers. Uh, could Brian Hayes definitely better average, but yeah, I, I like Walsh a lot. Um, and then as for Andrew Vaughn, just yes or no, no explanation. Do you think he starts in the majors? No. Okay, interesting. Uh, th- that definitely changes it. And as we get closer, I imagine there's more information. So not really worth diving into quite yet. But for now, he could pose, he, he could be a decent value um, if you're going for some risk. And now, who is your favorite value? Just give me a name. Josh Bell. Okay, if you couldn't tell, mine is Dom Smith. Um, since that was kind of obvious though, uh, why well, I'll go Josh Bell too. I, I like him a lot. Uh, and then your favorite sleeper, is it someone not on the list perhaps, or is it someone we touched on a little bit? Yeah, that's where it gets, uh, because we really, there's really uh, nobody else on that's not on the list, but I think one guy to consider again, depending on league depth, uh, and because of where they qualify you know, position, uh, eligibility is Tommy LaStella qualifies at first and second, you know, to your point earlier. Yeah. He's going to be on second base. You want to play him as second base, but he qualifies at first base. Tommy LaStella is going to hit lead off. He's got strong OBP skills. Uh, I'd like him as an end game pick. If you're looking that, and honestly, you can never have enough multi-position players are always a value add, uh, especially depending on your league format, but I really like him. Uh, and then uh, Rowdy Tellez uh, with Toronto uh, if you know, there's the opportunity for him to do some damage playing in Dunedin, which is tailor-made for left-handed power, 
Baltimore and Buffalo is the same type of thing, but Telez can hit when he gets the opportunity. And so those are two guys I would look at uh, as, as late, uh, late guys for first base, depending on the depth of your league. Yeah. My guy's Jared Walsh, but I, Rowdy Telez, if he gets the playing time, sure. He, he'll be decent, I think. And, Definitely good at the value, but it's a matter of if he can get that playing time. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, maybe. I'm hoping he can eat into that a little bit. But if he doesn't, Rowdy Telez will be solid for sure. Uh, let's move over to second base. So second base has recently, or not recently, has kind of always been known as kind of a weaker position. But, I mean, it's not top-heavy really at all, but... Like once you get past the top three, like ADP has Kevin Biggio number four. Yeah, it's definitely not top heavy, but there are certainly a lot of interesting guys. So let's move a little fast through this one. Uh, there's, I think there's a pretty clear top three. Um, DJ LeMahieu, Ozzy Albies, and Whit Merrifield. I think everybody kind of knows what to expect from these guys. But Whit Merrifield's going at pick 40. DJ LeMahieu's going at pick 24. Do you have any explanation as to why? Like, sure, DJ LeMahieu will probably get more runs because he's in Yankee, Yankee Stadium. And more home runs because he's in Yankee Stadium too. But Whit Merrifield is going to get a lot more steals. And obviously, we want steals more than homers. I think he could rival him in batting average. And... RBI is going to be kind of similar-ish, maybe, and runs will be similar. But when we're reaching for Adalberto Mondesi really, really high, why aren't we reaching for Whit Merrifield as much? Like he, I don't. I, go go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, you go. I, I was done. No, I was going to say with with Lemayhew, I get it. I mean, the fact that he's hit he's hit over three hundred in five of the past six seasons, and the one yeah, quote unquote bad I get season he hit was two seventy six. I get it too, but why is Whit Merrifield going so much lower? Is kind of what. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and there's a point to be made there. I mean, he's it's you know, if he was playing on a different team, people may be more excited. But like again, when you look at Lemayhew, when the when the league batting average is 250, and this guy's hitting that far ahead of the league batting average, there's a lot of value there. And and what makes him a, a unicorn of sorts is you you can't shift him. Lemayhew was shifted one time last year. Uh, you go to look at the you know, baseball savant and look up the shifts. Nobody shifts LeMahieu because teams are just gave up shifting him. They did it, and he would hit it the other way. And there's a reason why he's been able to draw, you know, score 90 plus runs in the each of the last four full seasons. And then you know he drove in the 102 uh, in 2019 because he had just a stupid numbers with runners in scoring position, uh, and and that somewhat normalized last year somewhat. But he's such a special hitter because defenses have to play him straight up, and he can absolutely cover the plate. He's a tall dude. I mean, for a second baseman, he's like six four. Uh, and, and long arms, he covers it, and I get it. Uh, it with with Mary, and plus this year he qualifies at three positions, which always helps. Um, uh, and so that's why I can see him. He's to me, he's I, I easy number one. Um, and Albies and Merrifield are not far behind him. Uh, with that, and Merrifield's gonna play. He's going to run. Uh, and there's no, you know, not. I, I get that there's a round gap between them, and I can see why doing it with LeMahieu just because batting average is so hard to find and he's the best at it. And that's what's driving, that's what's driving his price to second base one. 
Yeah, fair. Um, but steals are also kind of scarce, and Whit Merrifield will also hit for homers. Uh, not homers. Hit for average, not to the same extent as LeMayhew, but he'll get 300-ish range. Um, and I think he could have some upside that we're not seeing, too. Um, all right, so after that top group, it gets kind of gross really fast. Um, so these are kind of just breakouts and bounce backs. So it's a long list. I know you have it in front of you, but the listeners don't. So just listen carefully, I guess. Uh, Kevin Biggio, 60. Graber Torres at 63. Brandon Lau at 64. Keston Hira at 71. Cattell Marte at 74, Max Muncy at 91, Jeff McNeil at 92, and Jose Altuve at 93. Of that group, does any one stand out? Or you can pick two if you want because it was a pretty yeah, big two that I would here. focus on uh, here are Biggio uh, and McNeil. Uh, McNeil is going to be in a, hitting high in, in a strong Mets lineup. I like him quite a bit, and I like him quite a bit more than most of the names in front of him. Uh, you know, Keston Hero is going to get some first base eligibility, but you know, there's there's risk there. We saw the uh, downside with him, but Biggio, I really want to see where Toronto hits him. I mean, there's a good case to be made for him to hit third in that lineup behind George Springer uh, and Marcus Semien and in front of Teoscar Hernandez. And if he hits there, there's a good chance he's going to have a massive RBI production uh, productive year. Uh, right now he's projected to hit sixth and Bo Pichette's projected to hit third. But you look at that righty, 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 righty projected lineup for Toronto and the fact that Biggio has, has been in the top 25 for pitches per plate appearance uh, each of the past two seasons, I want him hitting third. I maybe even want him hitting second. Uh, in there to get because he's got strong OBP skills, but him higher in the lineup value. But then again, he's already going at, in the 60th, so there's not much upside here. Even if he switches, maybe he can get into the top 50, but there's not much uh, not much value to be made here. Whereas with McNeil, you know, he's got the potential to get into this in the top 60, and right now he's the 92nd player, so he's my favorite of this bunch. Uh, but I, I can't quit Biggio because there's potential for a pretty special run production season based on his overall abilities. Yeah, Biggio, uh, just give me a number. What do you think his most likely outcome for batting average is? Because I don't think it's very high. 252. Okay. I think it might be closer to 245, which, I mean, it's not good at all. Can't really spin that as being good, but sure. He'll definitely pitch in some of those counting stats. Um also some homers and maybe a couple steals. But I have him ranked lowest in this group and his ADP is the highest. And I have someone else who we could get to later also over him. He is my number 12 second baseman. According to ADP, he is number four. So I am not a big fan. Um, Batting order scares me. But like we mentioned with Alejandro Kirk, if he hits, he's going to hit. And sure, I, I think that applies more to uh, guys late in drafts. Like if they aren't getting on the field and they're just so good, they'll eventually find their way on the field. Kevin Biggio, there's a chance he's just decent and bets six the whole season. Like I don't, I, I don't like the value. Um, uh, I do 
really like Max Muncy and also Jeff McNeil as well. Um, Max Muncy, he's a good bet for power. I don't know if he'll bounce all the way back to a 260 batting average, but he could get, I, I don't think he's a 200 guy and his cat, his counting stats will also be very nice in that batting order. I like him more than McNeil, I think, but it's pretty close. Those two good counting stats, and they're going to be a major help in at least one other category. Um, all right. This next tier is odd. Um, Mike Moustakis, 124. Tommy Edmond, 135. Dylan Moore, 140. Ian Happ, 155. And Jay Cronenworth, 171. Of those five, who's your favorite? Uh, my favorite is my my UCF alum, Dylan Moore. Uh, and all serious, this Dylan Moore is going to, he's going to play every day uh, with Seattle. And he's got, he has the, the skills to contribute in all five categories. Uh, and so I like him the best here. I loved Ian Happ coming into last year, and he validated that for me. So I, I'm happy with him too. But Moore's my favorite here. But I, my my least favorite is Cronenworth because of the playing time. I mean, San Diego has gone out and acquired so much this offseason. It is tough to visualize a clear path to playing time for Cronenworth. He's going to have to move around the diamond to pick up his advance. But the other problem is Jerks and Profar is there doing the exact same thing. And so I see Cronenworth taking a serious step back, you know, heading into draft season. If you drafted in October and November doing a lot of early drafts, people were all over this guy. Well, every move San Diego made made it harder and harder for Cronenworth to find playing time. Uh, and you know, to me, he's outside my top 200 because of it. Yeah, I, I see it for sure. I have a chunk of guys pretty much everyone in the Dodgers rotation, pretty much everyone on the Padres infield and like, uh, maybe that's it, but I have them at, and I just keep on like ranking guys above them. Cause I have no idea what their deal is. And I mean, I guess the logic can apply. If he hits, he hits like, that could apply to Drake Cronenworth, but what if he hits, but also jerks and Profar hits and also Haseon Kim hits like there's so many guys and I think Mm -hmm. they're all good. Like the thing is, I don't really see where the um, playing time will come from. I agree with that. It has Um, to be come from injuries. I mean, when you look at everything else, Tatis, uh, Machado, Hosmer, they're going to play every single day unless they get hurt. So the playing yeah. time is going to have to come from outfielders. And yeah, as you mentioned earlier, fan gets hurt. Myers gets hurt. You know, Trent Grisham has had his issues, had issues hitting lefties late last year and uh, was hitting down eighth in the lineup because of it. You know, maybe he gets platoon and they, and they do something there, but that's, that's part of the issue is that you've got three spots in the lineup where those guys don't take days off uh, and they're not going to want to take days off. So where, where's he going to find that playing time becomes even worse if they don't get the universal DH. Fair enough. And um, as for Dylan Moore, he too is my favorite. And I'm looking through my ranks on the Fantasy Pro site to see like who I have ranked highest above their average. And I mean, Dom Smith shows up for sure. I have him ranked apparently 75 spots above the Fantasy Pro's average. Um, some other guys are in there too. Brian Hayes, who we already talked about. But Dylan Moore. He is certainly, 
I, I think he might be my number one above average. Oh, no, here's Jared Walsh. Okay, never mind. But <laughs> point is, I have him 79 higher than whatever this average is. I don't think it's their expert consensus rankings, and I also don't think it's their ADP. I don't really know what it is, but point is, I'm high on Dylan Moore. Worst case, I, we mentioned this with Teoscar Hernandez a little bit. Worst case scenario, he just steals 20 bags, right? But what if 2020 was kind of real and he does contribute to power a lot and maybe he has a decent batting average? I, I don't think he's much of a batting average, uh, much of an advantage in that category, but he'll be hitting at the top of the lineup in Seattle. Not a good lineup, but uh, maybe uh, they call up some prospects. And hitting at the top of the lineup, regardless of which lineup it is, is definitely an advantage. So I really like Mm -hmm. him. Uh, He's like, we used to be drafting Malik Smith at this range and he did nothing. But now we're getting uh, Dylan Moore in this range. He's a second baseman. Second baseman is not a great position. He also has outfield eligibility, which is very nice to have that flexibility and he has power. So like, yeah, uh, I, I'm a big fan of him too. Uh, and now this last grouping, the final one, and it seems like we are going to get through everything in about an hour, which is very impressive. But, um, Jonathan VR 167, Nick Solak 180, Andres Jimenez 196, Nick Madrigal 204, Gavin Lux, 233, John Birdie, 260, and Ha Seong Kim, 279. Give me one or two guys from this group that you're a fan of. So, you know, pure talent, Gavin Lux, best guy on here, but you can't draft talent. And we're talking that's real baseball talent. For me, the the clear runaway winner in this group is Nick Solak. Uh, because Nick Solak will have an everyday job. Nick Solak will hit in the top half of the Texas lineup. And we can't say that about anybody else on this list. I mean, Jonathan, Jonathan Villar's value took a serious hit when he went to the Mets. I mean, there was talk about him going to the Reds, and then all of a sudden he signs his deal with the Mets and it just tanked his fantasy value because you know he now becomes a utility player. He's going to have you know, Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil. That's your up, you know, up the middle. So it's like, what are they going to do? What's going to happen there? Where is he going to find his playing time? So his value takes a serious hit. Uh, for playing time. And uh, so VR comes way down my list. Jimenez uh, and Madrigal, you can put them in the same group. Uh, Yes, they can hit. Yes, there's the youth and the inexperience. I mean, I love Madrigal's ability. His bat-to-ball skills are some of the best in baseball. Very light on power. And if he hits, he's going to hit ninth in that lineup. Um, Birdie's not even guaranteed playing time. And Kim, you know, the, the track record of international players coming over and succeeding offensively in year one is not good. And so for me, runaway winner in this department is Solak. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Solak. I have him number 13 at my second base rankings, which is pretty good. Like, uh, that's above guys that we have talked about, such as, well, not talked about, but guys that have been mentioned such as uh, Mike Moustakis and Tommy Edmond. And yeah, I, I like him. Uh, he He's solid. He'll get you some steals, some homers, decent average. And yeah, he'll 
hit towards the top of a bad lineup, but that's better than nothing. Uh, my favorite, no doubt, is Nick Madrigal. You said he's batting ninth in the White Sox lineup. Like, sure, that might lead to fewer at-bats, but is there really a problem with that? That means he gets the top of the lineup right after him. Like, of course, I'd rather him be batting a leadoff. That that would be nice, but it, I think he could get a lot of runs out of the number nine hole with this insane batting average and pretty decent OBP to accompany it. Um, I, I really like Nick Madrigal. He's going to be a great help in batting average, I think. He'll be a pretty decent help in uh, stolen bases. Nothing in power. Probably nothing or very little in RBI, but um, I, I could definitely see him moving up in the lineup. Maybe he busts and you just drop him after a couple weeks, but I think Madrigal is a very good value. Um, a, I agree with what you said about Lux. He probably is the best guy on this list, but given that he does not have a path at all to playing time and the Dodgers do not seem interested in it. Um, I You can't draft him hoping for that much. Um, but I do kind of get Kyle Tucker vibes. Everything we were hearing, hearing from Houston a year ago was, we hate Kyle Tucker. There's no way he's getting at bats. And then a couple guys got injured, whatever happened. And Kyle Tucker is now going in like the third or fourth round. So I mean, I could see the same thing happening for Gavin Lux maybe, but uh, you can't really hope for that. It's kind of like the same uh, thought process as saying like, oh, Drew Locke, he's really bad, but maybe he can take a Josh Allen leap and um, be a good quarterback next year. But it, I think Josh Allen's the exception. I think Kyle Tucker's the exception, not the rule. So yeah, Gavin Lux, I like him. He's a, maybe a good flyer, but you can't take him and be relying on him for anything. Um, is there anyone else that we did not hit on on this list that you like or don't like or something? Uh, not on you know not on this not on this list, but a couple you know, a, a name that I would encourage folks to look at in deeper leagues is Ty France, uh, who has second base eligibility for the Mariners. Uh, I, I'd like his power potential and, and his bat. And he showed some stuff last year. He showed some stuff in the minor leagues. Uh, but I, I'd like his potential quite a bit. And so if you're looking at a, a deeper league late pick, there's and plus I believe France is going to get some third base eligibility here early in the season as well. So he's going to have that chance to become one of those multi-eligible guys. Uh, and then lastly, you know, don't quit on Scott Kingry just yet. I know a lot of people had a high high expectations. He hasn't really delivered on anything uh, to to the level of, pe- of production people wanted. Don't quit on Scott Kingry yet. There's a reason why Philly gave him the contract that he has. He's got potential, and, and this may be the last year you can buy him on cheap. So if you're in a keeper league, I mean, his ADP right now he's barely hanging in there in the uh, you know in a in a standard mixed league. He's his ADP is a uh, three twenty four, so he's going in the reserve rounds. Uh, if you if you're in a keeper league or you're starting a keeper league this year, this may this should be the year to go ahead and grab him and enjoy him for the next couple. Yeah, he was going in like the top 150 last year, mm-hmm. or at least close to it, and now he's just nothing. So, right, sure, take it at 300. 
can't really hurt too much. And he does have that rare power speed combo. Uh, a nice transition. Speaking of the power speed combo, my top value is Dylan Moore at second base. Who is your top value? Uh, top value. I'm going to go with Jeff McNeil. That, that's a good one. I, he's very good for batting average and, I could totally see myself getting him in a bunch of leagues if um, if my team falls in a way that I need a batting average at about that point because I think he's definitely – there's no chance he has a bad batting average, but he could honestly get the batting title even. Um, my favorite sleeper is Nick Madrigal. He's also my kind of – Kind of my favorite value, but I wanted him, him to be saved for my sleeper. But I really like him. We talked about my values list. Um, I I think it's possible Nick Madrigal ends up on that list. Uh, who is your favorite sleeper at second base? I'm going to take Ty France. If I'm going to tell you guys to pick him, I need to say, I need to say why he's my favorite sleeper, and I, I would like to get him uh, late in drafts, uh, depending on the on the league format. But uh, really like his potential. Uh, to to make some noise this year. Yep, uh, Ty France is pretty cool. I, I like him too. Uh, I almost thought about keeping him on the list. I tried to kind of limit it so that we uh, would get to everyone. But it, it was kind of like if I left Ty France on, who else would I have to leave on? Type of thing. But uh, I I did almost consider leaving him on because I think he's going to be solid and. He's going super late, which is definitely the nice thing about him. Well, we made it three positions in about an hour. Very impressive. Nicely done. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Do you want to tell people where they can find your work and your Twitter, etc.? Yeah, so Twitter's at Jason Colette, two L's, two T's, silent E at the end. Uh, and then, again, rotowire.com. Uh, look for the Colette Calls column. It uh, comes out the uh, middle of every week. Uh, rotowire.com forward slash radio. Get you those 10 free days. Uh, no credit card needed to try it out. Uh, so encourage you to do that. And then on Sundays, uh, recording with uh, Justin Mason on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. This weekend uh, is Potapalooza, so we're not doing a sleeper in the bus because Justin's doing like uh, insane amount of podcast recordings to uh, raise money for charity. Uh, so we will resume our recording schedule uh, next week, uh, the weekend after. So the weekend of uh, March 6th, which is also the weekend that the LABR uh, auctions happen. Uh, and they'll be broadcast live on Sirius XM. Uh, I am in the AL only one on Sunday evening. The NL one is Saturday evening. Uh, those draft boards uh, will be on, on Twitter so folks can follow along. I think they're talking about making a public Zoom room so people can tune in and watch uh, as well. Uh, so more to come on that. But so these expert uh, leagues or these analyst leagues rather are, are kicking off here uh, with labor being the first one and the tout wars is in two weeks. And I'm in the AL one there as well. Cool. Yeah, I, I would tune in if they do a public Zoom room. That sounds pretty cool. Um, are, are you doing Potapalooza this weekend, or does it? Like I am. I am recording at the eleven. I've got two of them to do. I've got. I'm, I'm going to be on the Baseball HQ podcast with Patrick Davitt starting at ten a.m. on Sunday, recording, and then tie a bow on that, and then jump right over to half an hour with Justin. 
Uh, I think Dan Strafford, I, 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 he has two of us on at a time. So I'm from 10 to 12 on Sunday morning, Eastern, I'll be doing podcast um, on, on Sunday and then uh, hopefully getting outside after that. <laughs> See what the weather's yeah. like. Uh, I am on at four uh, talking pitching busts. Three pitchers nice. were fading with a few other guys. Um, and so be sure to tune into that as well. Uh, yeah, so follow Jason on Twitter. Check out his work. Uh, as always, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at FOV underscore sports. I'll talk to you next time. But until then, Eisen out.